Well, we're in the middle of a series called No Longer Slaves, and I loved the song that we sang there at the end. I'm no longer a slave of fear. I'm a child of God. And uh, it's just such a, it's been a great series. And last week, Kyle did a fantastic job preaching. How many of you appreciated what Kyle did? Awesome. I can't clap or I'll knock my iPad out of my hands, but I listened, I listened to it in Mexico and uh, I used up like some of my data limit, so that means I cared, you know? And I, I, I was listening to the message and I was like, man, you did so good. And then I got really jealous. Like that was his first Sunday. Like I could barely string a sentence together. My first Sunday, here, this guy's up here sounding like Charles Finney or something or Spurgeon. He did so good. And uh, all, everybody that helped put on the service, thank you for letting us be gone for that week. And uh, we got a nice vacation and somebody said, what'd you do? And I said, nothing. And it was perfect. Yeah. We got some great tacos. Come on. Yeah. I had shrimp tacos, fish tacos, al pastor, carne asada. Mm. You guys can enjoy it through my ministry here. Maybe it's, some of it's in my breath or something. But we're in this series called No Longer Slaves. That's a little gross, isn't it? <clears throat> and we're talking about a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of churches in the region of Galatia, which is in uh, modern-day Turkey. And Paul was very concerned for these Christians. They were churches that he had himself planted. So he had a personal connection. And Paul is very concerned for these churches in the area of Galatia because they are being really assaulted by a foreign message. People are coming in. They're called Judaizers. And what they were, they were, they were kind of like Christians, who had, but they still ascribed to the beliefs of, of the Jewish faith that they had to be circumcised. And they were coming in telling these Christians, Jesus and, and faith in Jesus and what he's done is really not enough. You have to add something to it. So they said you have to be circumcised, and they wanted them to get surgery. I don't know how they were convincing people to do this, but they were. They were appealing to this sense of it, that, that Christ is not enough, and so the gospel was under attack. So Paul writes this letter to answer this attack upon the true gospel of Jesus. And it's really centering around this idea of adding to what Christ has done. Now you say, well, why is this relevant to us today? I mean, that was 2,000 years ago. We're in a completely different culture. But the truth is, it's, it's actually as relevant today, if not more, than it was for the original readers of Paul's letter in, of Galatians, because the gospel is still under attack. Anytime that someone wants to add something to Jesus, or anytime somebody wants to take something away from what Jesus has done, there's an attack against the gospel, and it's always been this way. And so it's very important for us to get a clear sense and a, a, a true understanding of what the gospel is so that, number one, we can apply it to ourselves, that we can believe the gospel of Jesus, we can be transformed by that true message of the gospel of Jesus. But as we believe here at Joy Church, we're also called to be on a mission. The very last words that Jesus spoke to his followers and his disciples were, go into all the world and make disciples, uh, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And so the message of Jesus is not just for me, as an individual, it's for me as an individual, and it's for me as a member of the, the, the global community to spread the gospel, to share God's love, to express His goodness, as Bethany said, through my resources in every way to live life on a mission. We're all missionaries. And you say, well, I don't live in a foreign country. I, I'm not a preacher. It doesn't matter. You're a missionary in, in whatever circumstance or situation you are in. You are a missionary to those of your family that do not know Jesus. You are a missionary to those at your workplace that do not know Christ. You are a missionary to hurting people. You are a missionary because you are saved by Christ. You are called by Him and you are commissioned to go into the world. 
and make disciples. And so the gospel is very relevant to us, both on a personal level for our own experience, but also as it relates to our ability and capacity to go on mission and spread the gospel around the world and in our communities. And so the gospel is always under attack. There was a, a man many, many years ago, thousands of years ago, Tertullian, he said, just as Jesus was crucified between two thieves, so the gospel is ever crucified between these two errors. He was speaking of two errors, one that we call legalism and one that we call license. And legalism says, I think we have it up here, uh, legalism says that we have to live a holy and good life in order to be saved. So in other words, to experience the grace of God and to experience salvation and the transformation of life that Jesus offers, I have to be holy and good and earn my, my way. It's not free. It's free. He's offering to me, but there's something I have to do. That's what legalism says. It adds to the gospel license says this. It says that because we are saved, I've received Jesus, I, I'm a Christian, that I don't have to live a holy and good life. So it says that you know Jesus did that and now there's nothing required of me and, and basically I just do whatever I want and it denies lordship. And so both of these things are errors. They're just opposite sides of a coin, right? They're errors on either side and they both steal away the true power of the gospel of Jesus. And the true power of the gospel of Jesus is that there's nothing we can do to earn it but when we have earned it and accepted it, it transforms us. And so there's things that we do. So the good that we do comes as a result of the good that was done for us, right? right. And there's these two really important theological terms. And I, I spoke about them two weeks ago. Uh, these two really important theological terms. The first one is this one called justification. The second one is this word sanctification. And what we often try to do is reverse the order. And, and we put sanctification, meaning doing good things and being a good person and following God's rules and th that kind of a mindset. We put that before. We say, well, if I do this, if I get clean and you know, I, I, I hide all my bad movies uh, or I get rid of those and I don't you know, drink too much for a couple weeks, then I can go to church and I don't cuss at the end of the Oregon Ducks game. Just confessing here, okay, uh, then, then I'm, I'm sanctified and then I can be justified. Then God can accept me. Then he can approve of me. Then he can receive me. But that's not the way that it goes. You see, what actually happens is that we come to God just as we are as sinners, uh, uh, falling short, as Romans chapter 3 tells us that all have fallen short of, the, of God's glorious standard. We come to God and he justifies us. When, when we receive Jesus, God looks at us and no longer sees the sinner, no longer sees the transgressor. He sees his son Jesus and we are made right with him. And then we begin to enter into sanctification. You can't be good without God. You can't be good without God. People have tried this for thousands and thousands of years. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're going, well, you know, Pastor Jake, I hear what you're saying and this whole thing about religion and trying to be good, but you know, I'm not really a religious person. Did you know it's actually very possible to be incredibly religious internally, even if you practice no form of external religion? See, religion has a couple different meanings, this word. It means, in one way, like a, the Christian religion or the, the Muslim religion. And it means like a, a set of things that people do or a set of beliefs or practices. And that's one way. But the way that Paul uses it in the book of Galatians is a different way. He means when he says religion or talks about keeping the law or keeping the rules, he means earning your way to God. And in this sense, many people are highly, highly religious without practicing any form of religion externally. You can, you can avoid church and get, you know, NFL Sunday ticket or whatever, red zone package and, you know, never go to church and you know, cuss like a sailor and be completely religious on the inside. And you go, how does that work? Well, let me tell you. 
it works like this. It has to do with how we view our capability of reaching God or reaching a state of perfection or being approved of through our own efforts. And so you'll hear things like this. People will say things like this that reveal actually that they're very religious in this sense. Say things like, I'm basically a good person. How many of you have ever heard this? How many have ever said this? I'm not a murderer. I've never like I've never like murdered people. I, I've never I've never stolen like that much, right? I'm not a glutton. I didn't eat the whole buffet, you know. I only ate a bunch of tacos, you know. And I, I'm basically a good person. Have you heard that? Okay. What is that a what is that a statement of? It's a statement of religion. It's a statement of hey, I see there's a moral standard, and I think I'm actually on the right side of it, right? You see what I'm talking about? So even though I cuss like a sailor and, you know, drink like a fish and all this kind of stuff, and I don't practice any form of religion, and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe I, I have a lot of things in my life, maybe I, well, but I'm basically a good person. It's a statement of religion. How about this statement? I'm not as bad as that person, yeah. right? So you drive on the belt line and somebody, you know, <laughs> cuts you off and flies the bird and, you know, you're just like, ah, and then you're like, well, I'm glad I'm not like that person, you know. And, and, and so now what you've done is you've made a, 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 you've made a comparison. Again, you know there's a standard, and you put yourself on the right side of it. Do you hear what I'm talking about? You can be very religious without practicing a religion. Yeah. And Paul says, look, that's not going to cut it, guys. He, he, he writes to the Galatians, that kind of a mindset is slavery. It's slavery because... You're always competing against some standard and you're always comparing yourself and it really denies what the Bible says. And I already quoted the scripture, but Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have fallen short of God's glorious standard. It doesn't matter how bad Bethany is or how good Bethany is. I fall short of Christ's standard. So maybe I'm quote unquote better than this guy over here, but we're all worse than Jesus. It's like a hundred men, they, they go on in a race in a lake and they start swimming and they all drown. Uh-oh, you know. And then so they all, you know, wake up wherever they wake up after they've drowned. I don't know, this is a story, right? Just, just roll with me here. And, and they go, well, I got farther than you. You know, Bill, you drowned halfway there. I got three quarters of the way before I drowned. You all drowned, right? It doesn't matter how far you got. You just got the furthest to lose, right? This is how it is when we talk about the human condition is that I can be the best that I can be. I can, I can clean up my life and clean up my act and get it all together and look good on the outside and whether I'm practicing in a religion or not or whether I'm you know, just the guy that watches NFL Sunday ticket, however that looks, but I can, I can really be as good as I can be, but, but at the end of it, I'm not comparing myself to other people. I'm comparing myself to God. That's the standard. Paul says we've all fallen short of that standard. And this, this game of religion is just a slavery. But the power of God's grace has the ability to set you free from all of that and empower you to live a radically different life. And so we're going to pick this up in Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. And I'm going to cover just about a chapter today in about 15 minutes, 20 minutes. All right? You with me? So I'm going to, I'm going to go turbo. I know I talk fast. I'm going to talk really fast. All right? You ready for this? Some, some, some sesame seed bun, whatever that guy does. All right. Verse 8 in chapter 4 in the message paraphrase in Galatians. Paul says earlier, before you knew God personally, you were enslaved 
to so-called gods that had nothing of the divine about them, but now that you know the real God, or rather since God knows you, how can you possibly subject yourselves again to those paper tigers? I love the imagery there. For that is exactly what you do when you are intimidated into scrupulously observing all the traditions, taboos, and superstitions associated with special days and seasons and years. I'm afraid that all my hard work among you has gone up in a puff of smoke. Paul says, my dear friends, what I would really like you to do is to try to put yourselves in my shoes to the same extent that I, when I was with you, I put myself in yours. You were very sensitive and kind then. You, you didn't come down on me personally. You were well aware that the reason I ended up preaching to you is I was physically broken and so prevented from continuing my journey. I was forced to stop with you. That's how I came to preach to you. And don't you remember that even though taking in a sick guest was most troublesome for you, you chose to treat me as well as you would have treated an angel of God, as well as you would have treated Jesus himself if he had visited you. What has happened to the satisfaction you felt at that time? There were some of you then who, if possible, would have given your very eyes to me. That is how deeply you cared. And now have I suddenly become your enemy simply by telling you the truth? I can't believe it. Paul's saying, look, you guys know me. You took me in. I was sick. And I, I, the reason I was even there to preach to you is because I was sick and you guys took me in. And so I shared the gospel with you. And that's where this whole thing came at. And now these people are coming in and they're like, I ah, don't listen to this guy, Paul. He, he just wants to control you. You need to listen to this new form of the gospel. And Paul's already said earlier in this letter, look, there is no other gospel, guys. Look, remember, this is how it was when I was with you. And then he goes on in verse 17 here. He says, those heretical teachers go to great lengths to flatter you, but their motives are rotten. They want to shut you out of the free world of God's grace so that you will always depend on them for approval and direction, making them feel important. Why do people bring an external standard of religion? Why do they want to bring a, a standard of control into the lives of others so that they can compare themselves to your failure? You see, it's always been this way, even in the Christian religion. And you go, man, aren't you a Christian? Absolutely. And I, and I'm, and I believe that I, our church is historically rooted all the way back to the time of Christ. But even in the Christian religion, there's been abuses. Many of you have experienced abuses in church where a pastor or a leader or another person, they say, well, now you have to do this, and it wasn't enough for you to do this, and you don't measure up to Jesus, and if you do this, then you'll be accepted. And they put something on you, and honestly, that's not what Jesus would want to do. So even within Christ's church, there's been corruption, right? Which is not a reflection on the failure of the faith. It's a failure of practitioners, and actually, in a roundabout way, it proves what the gospel says is true, that people are rotten to the core and need Jesus, right? Yeah. Church is not a place for people that Jesus needs. It's a place for people that need Jesus. Yeah. So all of us here, you say, well, Pastor Jake, are you ever going to hurt my feelings or do something wrong? Oh, yeah, absolutely, 100%. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I definitely will. So, and you'll hurt my feelings, right? When you skip church for six months in a row, it hurts my feelings. I just uh, sit at home. I just, you know, where's Andrew? You know? No, I'm just kidding. Two months. He was, he was protecting us. He's enforcing the law of our fair city. But anyway, we're going to hurt each other's feelings. We're going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes as a pastor. Of course I am. But that actually shows that I need Jesus too, right? We, we all need Jesus. That's why we're here. And people, though, that want to add this external standard, and that's what these guys were doing, but let's spin this around a little bit. Why, was, why were they able to flatter them? You know, you, they, were, they were actually saying you need to be circumcised. This is not a minor surgery, right? It, it takes place in a sensitive area for, for guys, right? And, and they, they were saying you have to be circumcised. Why was that flattering? Why was it appealing to them at all? Because if somebody was like, hey, we're doing 50% uh, off circumcisions uh, down here, you guys in? I'm going to say no to that one. 
I'm sorry, I have to go get a, a brain hemorrhage or something. You know, I, I mean, <laughs> any excuse. So how is this flattering them? How is it appealing to them? Well, listen, this is what he, he says. Their motives are rotten. They want to shut you out so that you'll always depend on them for approval and direction, making them feel important. Well, what, what is the appeal of religion? These guys want to feel important. But this is what it does. Religion flatters us, but it has a rotten core. It appeals to our sense of pride. Because now I stand on my own two feet. God, I got a surgery for you. So yeah, I'm, it's okay for me to have my you know, sins and iniquities. But like, Look what I did for you, God. Doesn't that count for something? God, I gave to the generosity campaign for Joy Church. Lord, I went to church for a month in a row. And I woke up and got there early. Lord, look what I've done for you. See, religion says, now that we're keeping score, God, don't you think that I've done enough to be accepted? Actually, you should probably bless me. God, I gave in the offering. Shouldn't you bless me? Shouldn't like a, like a, a white stallion with gold in a you know, wagon pull up after I gave? Because you know, it should be like I put a quarter in and then it comes out. You know, the, the toy comes out. Religion flatters us. It appeals to our sense of pride. I stand on my own two feet. Now, I'm not dependent upon Jesus. I'm dependent upon myself. This is why religion is appealing. It's why it's tempting to us. It makes us feel important. But here's what it does, guys. It shuts us out of the free world of God's grace. This free world of God's grace is this brand new state of existence, a completely different state of mind, a completely different state of existence. And when you keep score and you say, no, God, I stand on my own two feet, it's like the door just goes woof and slams shut and you're outside of what God has for you. How many of you like the movie Willy Wonka? It's an awesome movie. The old one, not the newer. But anyways, Gene Wilder, you know, he's amazing. And it's so cool when he opens doors, right, and reveals, now you get to go into the candy factory. What if Willy Wonka, what a terrible movie if they got to the outside, and they're like, okay, you don't get to go in, movie over, uh, you know, credits. That would stink, right? This is what religion does, though. It says God brings you to the candy factory, the free world of God's grace, and right as you get, he's getting ready to open the doors and, he, and you get a little glimpse inside and, and it's pretty amazing and you start realizing like this is a completely different thing. Something incredible. But then religion slams the door in your face because you get to stand on your own two feet. You get shut out of what God has provided for you. That's what happens with religion. It's absolutely not worth it. You can't depend on your own religious qualification and the work of Christ. It's either or. It's either or. It's either Jesus and nothing else or not Jesus. You either accept the free gift of grace, embrace it, live inside of it, take in the gospel and begin to be transformed by it, or you don't accept it and you stand in your own, on your own two feet and you are the qualifier, right? And that's what religion does. It appeals to our pride. Paul goes on in verse 18 it is a good thing to be ardent in doing good, but not just when I'm in your presence. Can't you continue the same concern for both my person and my message when I'm away from you that you had when I was with you? Do you know how I feel right now and will feel until Christ's life becomes visible in your lives? Like a mother in the pain of childbirth. Now, I don't relate to this, in case you were wondering. I've never had a child. But how many moms would you remember what childbirth feels like? My wife does. That's why she said, we can have more kids, but I'm not getting pregnant anymore. So however that works out. But anyways, pain of childbirth, the expectation 
this desperation even to have your child. I remember when Bethany and I were getting ready to have our first baby with Evie, and she was a little kicker in the womb, you know, and, and I would feel her feet, and our hearts were bursting. And I remember about a month before she was due, and she was going to make us even longer than that, but about a month before she was due, I, li- I, was, I, I was so in love with my baby girl. I didn't know her yet. I mean, she wasn't out of the womb yet, but I was so in love with her that I had a, a sense. It was like what I felt when I was four for Christmas, but times 100. This sense of expectation, and I can't wait. And Paul's saying, look, like a mother in childbirth, this moment of bringing new life, I, I can't wait. I, I want to see. I'm desperate. I'm really ready to see Christ's life visible in you. He said, don't let these people steal it away. I really want to see Christ's life become visible in you like a mother in the pain of childbirth. Oh, I keep wishing that I was with you. Then I wouldn't be reduced to this blunt letter-writing language out of sheer frustration. Tell me now, you have become so enamored with the law. Have you paid close attention to that law? He's, he's wanting to remind them, like, hey, this is what it looks like, guys. He said, Abraham, remember, had two sons, one by the slave woman, one by the free woman. The son of the slave woman was born by human connivance. You can use that word today with your friends, and they'll be like, oh, connivance. I say, I'm just over here drinking my sparkling water. (laughs) The son of the free woman was born by God's promise. That won't translate to the podcast at all. You'll be like, what was he doing right there? This illustrates the very thing that we are dealing with now. He says the two births represent two ways of being in relationship with God. One is from Mount Sinai. It corresponds with what is now going on in Jerusalem, a slave life producing slaves as offspring. That's the way of Hagar. That was the woman that Abraham had Ishmael with. In contrast to that, there is an invisible Jerusalem, a free Jerusalem. She's our mother. This is the way of Sarah. Remember what Isaiah wrote, and I'll explain this here in a second. Rejoice, barren woman who bears no children. Shout and cry out, woman who has no birth pangs, because the children of the barren woman now surpass the children of the chosen woman. Isn't it clear, friends, that you, like Isaac, are children of promise in the days of Hagar and Sarah, the child who came from faithless connivance, Ishmael, harassed the child who came, empowered by the Spirit, from the faithful promise, Isaac. I know this is a lot, and I'll explain it. Isn't it clear that the harassment you are now experiencing from the Jerusalem heretics follows that old pattern? There's a scripture that tells us what to do. Expel the slave mother with her son, for the slave son will not inherit with the free son. Isn't that conclusive, Paul says? We are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Paul's saying, he's telling a story that is, readers would have been familiar with, the story of Abraham when he he knew he was going to have a son, and so he kind of wanted to jumpstart God's promise. So he, uh, he had a child with a, a slave woman with Hagar that was Ishmael. And then God eventually came through on his promise, and Abraham had a child with Sarah. And Ishmael was always harassing Isaac, who was the true heir and true son. And Abraham created a huge rift, even that comes down through the ages uh, to us even today. He created a huge rift because he didn't wait for the right thing. And he said you have to expel the son of the slave woman, and, and to get to the true inheritance, the true son. So Paul's telling this story, saying this is what it's like. He says, there's two ways of dealing with God. You can either deal with God as if you were a slave, or you can be a son. You can either be a slave, or you can be a son. These are the ways that we can approach God. There's no other category. This is how we approach, either as a slave or a free person. But the inheritance only comes when you're a son or a daughter. The inheritance only comes when you receive And become part of God's family through Jesus. When we receive Jesus, we become part of the family of God. And we become inheritors of all that God has. We become inheritors of all that Jesus is entitled as a son of God. 
Jesus brought us into the family by his work at the cross. You with me? The inheritance is not in the law, Paul says, but it's in the freedom provided by Christ. We're children of the inheritance. And then he goes on, and probably the most famous verse in the book of Galatians is Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. And he says, Christ has set us free to live a free life. In another translation, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. Jesus died for us so that we could truly be free. Not so we could run right back into bondage. When we choose bondage, when we choose the way of religion, when we choose the the mindset of a slave, what do we do? We devalue the cost of the cross. We devalue what Jesus paid for with his very life, with his very blood. We devalue the cost of the cross when we embrace bondage. You know, Christians, listen, those of you that are followers of Jesus, you know there's a temptation every day to devalue the cross by standing on your own two feet, not trusting in Jesus. Oh, and you hear Christians say stuff like this, I just, I had a bad week. Yeah, you're human. Even when you thought you had a good week, you had a bad week. Right? It'd be like me swimming with Michael Phelps. Every time I swim, even when I get my best time, I had a bad time. (laughs) So, like, the standard is Jesus Christ. So, unless you were, like, completely like Jesus Christ this week, you had a bad week. So, it's an illusion. Oh, I had a good week, which means I felt good about my performance before God. It's religion. Oh, I had a bad week because I didn't feel good about my performance. You always have a bad week. So what you have to do is you have to say, it's not connected to my performance on this side. When, I, when I'm in Christ and I'm experiencing His grace and I feel convicted because I did something wrong, absolutely, you, you change. It's not saying, you know, we'll talk more about that later, but license says, oh, it doesn't even matter. Your behavior, your actions don't matter. No, they do. When you sin, it hurts people and it hurts God and it hurts you. There's... There are consequences for sin, absolutely. Wisdom comes into play. The Bible's full of wisdom telling us what not to do. But all this aspect of salvation and our motivations and our heart revolves around this idea, oh, I had a good week, oh, I had a bad week. No, that's religion. It's a slave mindset. A son mindset says, you know, I'm just resting in what Christ did for me. I'm I'm humble because I don't stand on my own two feet. Whether I think I did great or I did horrible I trust in Jesus. That's what being a Christian is about. Is that in every moment, are you trusting Jesus for your salvation? Or is it Jesus plus? Jesus plus my ability to have a good week. Jesus minus my ability to have a bad week. No, no. It's just Jesus or it's not Him at all. Okay? It's an all or nothing proposal. Now, Paul goes on and I'm going to wrap us up here. He says in verse 2, I'm emphatic about this. The moment any, of, any one of you submits to circumcision or any other rule-keeping system, at that same moment, Christ's hard-won gift of freedom is squandered. I repeat my warning. The person who accepts the ways of circumcision trades all the advantages of the free life in Christ for the obligations of the slave life of the law. You either get what Jesus has for you or you have gone completely to the opposite side. It's an illusion that we can mix and blend. It doesn't happen. We either trust completely in Christ or we trust completely in our own ability to keep God's law. And that little subtle lie, it appeals to our pride, but it steals our freedom. Listen to this statement here. The posture of humility is the only one capable of receiving and continuing in the gospel of Jesus. Which is why Jesus said you have to be like a little child to receive it. You know, we took three little kids because we're crazy. 
on an international trip to Mexico, because we're absolutely insane. And because if you ever taken kids to an airport, it's crazy. Jack's like trying to run back through security. I'm like, no. He wouldn't go through the metal detector one time. It was, it was fun. Fun in a horrible, nightmarish way. But anyways, <laughs> kind of like haunted house. You know, oh, it was fun. People jumped out at me with a, a chainsaw. Anyways, we took three little kids, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a one-year-old. And we went on this, this trip. And it was amazing to see our kids go through all of these very kind of stressful hard, difficult situations that you do when you travel. You're, you're trying to get somewhere and there's a, a rush and then they change your gate and you're moving over here and you have to get through security and you know, you're hoping the guy doesn't put his glove on and you're just scared about what's going to happen. And, you know, and then in Mexico, have you ever been there, you get like a green light or a red light? Have you ever been there? Yeah, like you're like, okay, you stand there and they're like, push the button. You're like, really? What's going to happen? You know? And you push the button, and all of a sudden it goes, da -da 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 -da. no, just kidding. But you push the button, and then they have like a green hand or a red hand that comes in, and if it's a red hand, they're going to search your stuff, you know, take all your beef jerky or whatever they do. It's a nightmare, you know. So you're going through all these cir circumstances, situations, and here's our kids, and they're just like, can I have a granola bar, you know? I'm going to run around like Jack was running around through Mexico, like taking off. They don't care. TSA. They're not worried about landing gear. You know what I'm saying? All the things that I'm concerned about, all these burdens that I'm bearing, our kids, they just trust completely in the provision of their parents. 100% trust that we are going to get them to the pool, that we're going to get them to Papa and Grandma. You know, they don't even have a concept that we're now in another country, right? Evie's like running off in the airport in Cabo, and we're like, if you get lost, no one can understand you. Most people who speak English can't understand you. How are people who don't even speak your language? They have no idea of this great world that they should be afraid of all around. I know, but they trust in me completely. Jesus said, you have to be like that to enter into my kingdom. Why? Because we have to be, get ourselves in this posture of humility. I just trust my dad. Well, how was your week? I don't, I don't, I had a week. Well, did you do really good? No. But I'm still a son. Yeah. My kids know that there's going to be dinner on the table even if they're disrespectful. Doesn't mean they're not going to get a spanking or not, you know, not, they're not going to get candy or something, but there's consequences, right? But they still know that they're my son or my daughter. Yeah. There's a simple trust. You have to be like a child, Jesus says, completely and utterly dependent. This posture of humility. Paul says, I suspect in verse 4 that you would never intend this, but this is what happens. When you attempt to live by your own religious plans and projects, you are cut off. The door slams shut from Christ. You fall out of grace. Did you know that trying to do good is actually what makes you fall out of grace? Think about that for a second. Well, if I try really hard, I'll be in grace. No, no, no. You'll actually fall right out of it. Grace is the empowerment that comes from a posture of trust and humility in the work of Jesus and His work alone. That's what true gospel belief is. It's not just good advice, it's good news. Jesus paid the price for you. You can have a relationship with God the Father through the work of Jesus by putting your trust, simply believing that His work was enough, putting your trust in Him and giving Him your life. Any of you that are here this morning that have not put your faith and trust in Jesus, even as I speak, you can do that. You can simply believe, like a little kid, to put your hand in your Father's hand and say, I trust you now. I trust in you now. And the good news is that what happens is when you do that, 
things begin to change and you do grow and you do become sanctified and God challenges you. And just like I'm raising my children, they trust in me 100%, but, but I'm still challenging them to make good decisions and I'm challenging them to grow and take on more responsibility. There's a life of faith, but it all starts with trust, humility, and that keeps us in, keeps us in. Paul gets more and more intense, more emphatic. Don't waste the grace of God. You don't intend to be cut off from Christ, but that's what happens when you stop, stop trusting Him and you start trusting yourself or start trusting what you do. And then he says, Meanwhile, we ex- expectantly wait for a satisfying relationship with the Spirit. For in Christ, neither our most conscientious religion, our devotion, our duty, doing the right thing, paying the price. Nor disregard of religion. Nah, I don't need that. Don't need to do good. I can just throw it off and do what I want. In Christ, neither our legalism, keeping the law, keeping score, earning it mindset, nor our flipping God off mindset, neither of those things, he says, in Christ amount to anything. Paul says this, what amounts, what matters is something far more interior. Faith expressed in love. In another translation it says, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. A lot of times people say, well, Christianity is very complex, very complicated, it's hard to understand, and even sometimes people present it as very complicated. Actually, it's one of the most simple belief systems ever. The gospel is a very simple message. God saves sinners. But it's very difficult because we want to keep score. Because we want to stand on our own two feet. Because we want to say, I'm better than that person, so that means I'm okay. It takes humility. So it's very easy to understand, but it's very difficult to do, which is why Jesus said, the path of destruction is broad and there are many who follow it, but the way of life is narrow. It's simple, but it's difficult to embrace this reality that nothing I do really matters other than faith expressing itself in love. Neither my religion or my lack of religion amounts to anything. My effort is like a drop of water in the ocean. The result of a gospel-centered, grace-empowered life is faith expressing itself in love. In other words, if I believe in the gospel and I'm connected to the reality of what Jesus has done for me, then I begin to love. I begin to love. Love opens up this whole world of, I put other people before me, myself. When somebody cuts me off, I don't flip them off. I wave at them and I smile. Not in a sarcastic way. (laughs) When somebody cuts me in line at the grocery store, I pay for their groceries. When my enemy comes against me, I put my weapons down. When somebody slaps me, I turn the other cheek. When somebody says, give me your cloak, I give them my tunic as well. And I say, let me carry your armor just another mile than what I'm compelled to do. When I experience faith, I can exhibit and live out love. Paul says, when you know Jesus, everything changes. Your life changes and you can change the world like that because that's not how it works in this other world, but there's a whole new world, a free world of God's grace, where we can break the cycle of insanity, of revenge. Well, they hurt me, so I have to hurt them, so they can hurt me again, so I can hurt them again. No, 
forgiveness comes in and breaks the cycle. It's faith expressing itself in love. When you believe in the gospel, love is the result and your life is completely different and the life, the lives of those around you can be completely changed. My faith in God expressing itself in love for him and then for the world around me. This is the evidence of Christ at work in a human heart in my life. Sanctification, doing good, is the result of justification. I've been received and accepted, therefore I can do good as a son, not as a slave. My heart has been changed. My mind and my thoughts are being changed. So my behaviors and my actions are now different. Not because I'm earning my way, but because I've received something valuable from God. And now I've been shown a new way to live. And I've been given the power of grace to live this new way. And the bottom line is this. If you don't get anything else out of today, here's the bottom line. I'm either trusting Jesus or I'm trusting myself. So choose to trust Jesus. This morning as we leave, let's just choose to trust Jesus. You go, well, Jake, like, couldn't you say it better? Probably, but that's enough. Choose to, just choose to trust him. When you go out into the car and just choose to trust Jesus. Just make a choice. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus before. Just choose to trust Jesus right now. Just put your trust in him. Your work was enough. What you did for me was enough. And you know what? I can rest in that reality. And it's so exhausting to try to keep score, right? Oh God, I earned five good points and I'm four negative points. And what didn't la- well, how many points did I get for that when I gave that? You know, I bought those Girl Scout cookies and I maybe two points. And then I think I didn't. When I oh, I definitely lost some points when I cussed at that person on the freeway. But I but I got some good points when I made my wife coffee. And it's exhausting. Just choose to trust Jesus. John Bunyan, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, and I want to leave you with this. He said, a poem that he wrote, Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly, and it gives us wings. It bids us fly, and it gives us wings. You want to run a race, or do you want to fly above it all? In God's grace. This morning, let's, let's stand up together. Let's just bow our heads, close our eyes. If there's anybody here today that right now is your moment to choose to trust Jesus, I just want you to acknowledge that by lifting up your hand. Pastor Jake, today I'm going to trust Jesus. I want to stop playing the game. I want to stop earning my way or trying to earn my way. I want to Accept what Jesus has done for me. Anybody in here today, just raise your hand. I'm just going to take a few more moments. I see that. Thank you. I see that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else here today? I choose to trust in Jesus. Now look, here's the cool thing. It's not magic words. There's no prayer that makes you a Christian. It's that trust that you have in your heart, that belief. put your hand into his hand and you said I belong to you now, I follow you and you're turning over your life, he's now your Lord and your Savior will you just pray this with me, let's just seal this moment with a prayer, just repeat after me, everybody can pray dear Jesus I choose to trust in you from, from now on give me the grace to follow you every day I confess my sins, I repent, and I turn around 
and I follow after you. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's praise God for that today.